This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Peggy Hodgkins, and today we're talking about some paleontology on the Colorado Plateau. But we're not talking about dinosaurs, rather freshwater turtles and lizard-like creatures that lived in the sea more than 65 million years ago. So my name is Dr. Joshua Lively. I am curator of paleontology at the Prehistoric Museum here in Price, Utah. We are affiliated with USU Eastern. So I've been in this position for about uh, 13 months, so just a little over a year. And before this, I was a professor at the University of Illinois Springfield. And uh, before that, uh, yeah, very recent graduate of uh, uh, my PhD program at the University of Texas at Austin. And I've been uh, working, doing field work here in Utah since 2010, uh, when I started uh, the master's program at the University of Utah in paleontology. As a vertebrate paleontologist, Joshua attempts to uncover the behavior and appearance of ancient animals through fossils. He started by studying freshwater turtles whose remains can be found in the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument in Utah. Then Josh went on to study big lizards called mosasaurs that lived in the same time period, but in the sea that ran north to south through the middle of North America. We start with the turtles. Uh, the freshwater turtles that I worked on for my masters and some projects since then as well, they are from the Kaparowitz Formation of uh, Grand Staircase Escalante. And uh, that's definitely, a, you know, a freshwater to terrestrial environment. The monument and the Kaparowitz Formation in particular are famous for all the dinosaur fossils. This was one of the last places in North America to be explored for dinosaur fossils, and just about every species you find is brand new to science. But one thing that's really neat is that for every dinosaur fossil we find, we find about 10 turtles. So it gives you a great sample size. Yeah, all of these turtles are freshwater turtles or uh, also uh, terrestrial land dwelling turtles. The Kaparowitz was probably about 50 to 100 miles inland from the Western Interior Seaway. Oh, it sounds like the Kaparowitz was maybe, it's one of the only formations in that, in this part of the world that these turtles are found in? Well, yes and no. So uh, you definitely find uh, freshwater uh, turtle fossils in um, the San Juan Basin of New Mexico. You actually, uh, we've actually found some uh, just since I've started this job in a, a formation that's called the Neslin Formation, which is in the Book Cliffs. We've been working uh, actually uh, just outside of Green River this year, finding some of the same turtles as well. Now, some of the turtles I worked on are known only from the Kaparowitz Formation. Some of them seem to have been endemic to, uh, or, you know, restricted to what, it, what is today Southern Utah during the Cretaceous, at least at the species level, which is not too surprising today in the modern, you actually do see some uh, turtles that, especially uh, different species of map turtles that are restricted to individual river drainages in the Southeastern US. Uh, but then you have other species that are more widely distributed. And uh, that was one of the things I found. You had this kind of mixture of turtles that were found in in southern Utah, New Mexico, Texas, but then you also had some species that have only been found in southern Utah. 
Neat. So these are freshwater turtles. So they're in lakes, uh, rivers. And how similar are they to a turtle we'd find freshwater today? You know, that's a really interesting question because in the history of turtle evolution, which spans well over 200 million years, once turtles evolve, they really find this body plan and stick with it. (laughs) So if you go back to the Cretaceous and you see a turtle, you're going to say, oh, yeah, that's that's a turtle. (laughs) Uh, There's no question about it. In the Kaparowitz formation, which is about 76 million years old. So we're dealing with an ecosystem that was about 10 million years prior to the extinction of non-bird dinosaurs. Uh, You actually already have some groups, turtles that we see today. So for example, one of the more common uh, groups of turtles that we find in the Kaparowitz are trionicids. Those are softshell turtles. And if you go to rivers in the southeastern U.S. or really all over the world, South America, Asia, you find softshell turtles and their relatives uh, today. And we find softshell turtles back during the Cretaceous. You also find early relatives of mud turtles, uh, kinesternids. You find early relatives of snapping turtles. So all these different groups of turtles were already living in the Kaparowitz. So if we move from the freshwater at the same, roughly the same time period, you're still around 65 to 75 million years ago, this, uh, the Mosasaurus, which are large lizard-like creatures were living in this seaway that spanned the whole of North America. And it sounds like they could get very large as well and came to dominate some of these waters. Can you describe these creatures and uh, what their typical day was? (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, mosasaurs are uh, really interesting to me because Uh, Just like with turtles in uh, freshwater ecosystems, mosasaur fossils are actually very, very common in deposits left behind by the Western Interior Seaway. And, you know, when you have a larger sample size of fossils, you're actually able to start asking more biological questions. Yeah, for me, yeah, dinosaurs are great. I'm actually you know, working on some dinosaur projects now that I'm at a very much dinosaur-focused museum. But very often, we don't get uh, a big sample size of most dinosaur species. There, there are you know, exceptions, but when it comes to things like turtles in a freshwater environment or mosasaurs in the marine ecosystem, we just find tons of them. There have been thousands of mosasaur specimens collected from places like Texas and Kansas and South Dakota over the years that are already housed in museums across North America. Mosasaurs, they show up uh, pretty pretty late in the game as far as uh, the Mesozoic goes. By the time you get to the late Cretaceous, when mosasaurs first evolved, you have this long history of marine reptiles in the oceans uh, during the Mesozoic. You have ichthyosaurs, uh, you have plesiosaurs, both long-necked and short-necked plesiosaurs. You also have the the earliest marine turtles as well. So mosasaurs uh, come onto the scene, but pretty soon after they show up in marine ecosystems, they begin to to dominate as uh, some of the apex predators in the ecosystem. And they also diversify. So uh, you get some mosasaurs that are definitely seem to be fish specialists based on the shape of their teeth, as well as 
gut contents that have been preserved in them. You get some that are even mollusk specialists. So uh, things like globodins that have these really round globular teeth that were very well suited for crushing clams, oysters, and maybe uh, ammonites. And then you also have kind of more generalist mosasaurs that would eat basically anything smaller than their head. <laughs> and mosasaurs in general, uh, you know, uh, when I like to describe what they look like, I tell people basically picture a Komodo dragon with flippers. Oh, God. Except... Your Komodo dragon would probably be the smallest mosasaur. You know, the smallest uh, examples of things that are definitely mosasaurs are probably on the order of one meter long. Your largest mosasaurs, by the time you get to the end of the Cretaceous and one particular species, Mosasaurus hoffmanii, you're looking at a, a, a species that's uh, yeah, maybe up to 17 meters long, you know, pushing the size of a modern day sperm whale. So these these guys, the mosasaurs, are confined to the Cretaceous period, roughly. That's I mean, correct. So um, if they're found in Angola, it's still in Cretaceous rock. Absolutely, and and uh, mosasaurs are actually found on all seven continents. Oh wow! So we know they were global in their distribution. But yeah, they there's still a lot of argument <laughs> over what exactly <laughs> makes a mosasaur. What aquatic lizards are some of the uh, early representatives, the basal examples of mosasaurs. So there's still a lot of discussion on that. And that actually dictates really how far back in time mosasaurs go. Something that we would for sure recognize traditionally as a mosasaur, they're definitely around by 92 million years ago. So for sure restricted to the late Cretaceous. And then, of course, uh, go extinct 66 million years ago with land-dwelling dinosaurs and everything. Yeah. And you mentioned finding these in Texas and I think New Mexico, but are they, they are found in Utah as well? So Mosasaur fossils have been very, very rarely found in Utah. Okay. Uh, and, and that's actually one of the exciting things for me being here. The Manco Shale, you know, for, you know, for listeners of the podcast, uh, if you've, uh, I, I'm going to guess that most folks have driven around Eastern Utah at one time or another and looked off at the book cliffs or the Wasatch Plateau. And all of those gray rocks that are kind of muddy rocks that you don't want to drive across if it's recently rained, those uh, rocks are the Mancos Shale. And they represent the time when Utah was covered by the Western Interior Seaway. That's where you're going to find mosasaurs in Utah. And the thing is, not as many people have prospected the Mancos Shale as they have some of the other rock units in Utah. Because most of the time when folks come to Utah, they're looking for dinosaurs. They're going to the Morrison Formation or the North Horn or the Kaparowitz Formation. Not a lot of folks have prospected the, the Mancos. So right now there's one possible very early Mosasaur from Southern Utah, still unpublished uh, by one of my colleagues. Actually, just earlier this year, a, uh, an avocational paleontologist who's actually, I would consider one of the uh, experts in Utah on ammonites was out looking for ammonites south of Price, found a marine reptile of some variety in a very hard concretion within the Mancos Shale. And no one was interested in digging it up. He found this in 1988. You know, no one was interested in chasing it. Uh, he showed it to me earlier this year. And 
I looked at it and I said, well, this has skull bits. This is important. And I actually went back to check it out again when I had a little bit more time. And sure enough, there's Mosasaur teeth sticking out of this rock. So th this thing is probably going to be the first definitive Mosasaur from Utah. At least that's more than a single isolated chunk that's probably Mosasaur. So Mosasaurs really haven't been found in Utah, but I have a hunch. I'm hoping, knock on wood, we find a lot more. They weren't necessarily restricted to the, the seaway. They could have been on and off land type creatures. They evolved into only sea creatures, something like that. That, that, that is correct. Uh, they, they were definitely, uh, Mosasaurs definitely evolved at some point from land dwelling lizards or, or early snakes, then definitely evolved this uh, aquatic lifestyle. The okay. question is when, when did they hit the water? You know, did they, were they still very terrestrial looking in their anatomy when they started spending a lot of time in the water? We don't know. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth, uh, you know, checking out these uh, rock units that are kind of on the edge of the seaways, not just the Western Interior Seaway, but all over the globe at, at the time, roughly, of the Cedar Mountain Formation deposition. That's very interesting. At your current position as curator of paleontology at the Prehistoric Museum in Price, how's that? What, uh, what, what have you been working on there? Oh, gosh. You know, the, the great thing about this museum is that it is centered right in the middle of some of the best rocks on the planet <laughs> yeah. to do paleontology. I can go two hours, really any direction from Price and cover anything from the Permian, you know, uh, these rocks older than the age of dinosaurs, through the Triassic, the Jurassic, the Cretaceous, all the way into the Eocene, more than 20 million years after the extinction of the dinosaurs, and, you know, never leave a two-hour two radius of, of price. One thing that I'm trying to do here is kind of cast a broad net and really increase the scope of our museum's collections as well as our exhibits. Because, uh, yeah, we have dual missions, one to serve the people of Eastern Utah and yeah, really help build an appreciation for the history of life in this part of the state and this part of the world. But to do that, yeah, I really want to build our collections that aren't necessarily strengths of the collection. So that could be the Triassic rocks, which are very well exposed in the San Rafael Swell that's right down the road. It's also, you know, expanding into the Eocene rocks. Our uh, current pr uh, fossil preparator has prospected those rocks for quite a while and found some really interesting uh, critters. We have, uh, obviously, like I said, a ton of, uh, ton of uh, Manco shale around us, but we don't have a lot of fossils uh, from that. So it's really been great because I have the opportunity to prospect all of these rocks, some of which have been really underexplored over the years, and try to build our collections, build our exhibits in those different and new directions. And that also kind of makes us more broadly appealing as well to uh, uh, researchers. You know, if we have uh, more marine reptile fossils, for example, more researchers from around the world are going to want to come here and uh, study our collections. So, you know, we're, we've we have a very big strength actually in the Cedar Mountain Formation, where uh, previous curators and paleontologists that worked here 
you have fo- focused a lot of energy on the Cedar Mountain formation. And we're still doing that, of course, as well. But this year, in my first year and in the first few years of this position, I'm going to be casting a much uh, sort of broader net to really help help this museum tell the story, the evolution of life in Eastern Utah. Oh, neat. Yeah, that sounds great. And so you're still able to go in the field quite a bit. I go uh, in the field quite a lot. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the kind of thing where I'm almost, I was almost ready for a little bit of a break from it. <laughs> oh, yeah. good. It's getting cold. Uh, the days are shorter. I have an excuse to do some office work. Um, now, I'll, I'll say field work is my favorite part of the job. But, uh, you know, when you spend eight weeks, 12 weeks in the field, you, you look forward to a little bit of a break from it. That, that, that's one of the great things we have. Because we are so close to so many field sites, we can do day trips, we can do extended expeditions that are a bit more remote, and we are also in a position to take volunteers in the field. That's definitely something I want to highlight is our volunteer program. Not a lot of folks realize, and this is the case with a lot of museums, that members of the public that have zero training in paleontology can get involved with what we do, whether it's in our collections in our prep lab or working in the field to prospect for and excavate these awesome animals that we have right here in Eastern Utah. That's very neat. Uh, that's a good, uh, good thing to know and to broadcast. I didn't know about that either. I assume also you're working with a lot of students or is that not something? Well, yeah, we, we definitely do have uh, a great opportunity being associated with Utah State University to bring mm-hmm. students along. Right now, I've actually got a couple of uh, undergraduates who are working with me on projects associated with the museum. My first two uh, that are from right here locally in Price, they're actually pre-med majors. So they're more uh, kind of anatomy focused. Yeah, we also are yeah, trying to build a, a stronger relationship with the geology department on main campus up in Logan. And uh, we've uh, already had quite a few students come out in the field with us from up in Logan, uh, as well as here in Price. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's a relationship that really hasn't you know, existed uh, quite as strongly in the past. But that's, yeah, I come from a geology background. So uh, that's a uh, component of this museum that I've been really looking forward to build. Starting a new position like this during COVID was, of course, weird, (laughs) but uh, moving forward, that's something that we're working towards. So, yeah, I'm trying to get as many students uh, from uh, Logan, as well as right here in Price and any of the other USU campuses to get involved with the museum at any level that, you know, we can help them out, whether it's getting field experience, getting research experience here in the uh, collections, all of the above. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, yeah, definitely, uh, especially as we eventually come out of the pandemic, but even right now, I'm always looking for uh, more students to get involved. Well, Josh, thanks so much for talking with Science Moab. Uh, it's been really interesting hearing about uh, your work. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, this museum has a 60-year history. We have very much been a community endeavor from the get-go. So I'd love to see that continue, whether you're in Moab, Duchesne, right here in Price, wherever you are, if you're interested in uh, getting involved with us in the field, in the lab, in collections, get in contact with me. We'd love to have you. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab newsletter by Rhonda Cook 
Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.